It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more. If you plan to study medicine, apply for the U.S. Army's Health Profession Scholarship Program and launch yourself into a medical career like no other. It offers full tuition and the support of one of the largest, most advanced healthcare networks in the world. A career of innovative medicine without a lifetime of debt. That's the Army difference. Learn more at GoArmy.com slash tuition paid. Ready for the interview, and if you get a cue, live on a laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, doctor, D, PhD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. All right, we're here with Marta Maria, and uh, I love your background. It's like books. <laughs> Thank you. Intelligence is great. Oh, where where are we broadcasting from? What where are you? I'm in London. I'm in Greater London, and I love books, as you can see. Yeah, yeah, you love. Where where when did you start loving books? Wow, as far as I can remember, being able to read, I I started to read books and even more complicated books than I should have, even as a young child. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So let's jump into your life. I mean, there's, and kind of the title of this episode is going to be kind of lessons from toxic love. And I want to learn a little bit about you, kind of the beginning of you and how this kind of all started steamrolling into the work that you're doing now we talked a little about coercion and things of that nature. So what's the beginning of Marta Maria? Well, um, as a young child, I grew up in uh, uh, back then socialist Hungary. And I think culture, I mean, your cultural background really uh, means a lot. It makes a difference uh, and it shapes you uh, as much as uh, your surrounding, your closest surrounding as your family. And um, I started to travel uh, as soon as I could, which uh, being it a socialist country wasn't uh, very easy at the beginning, but I was lucky because uh, when I was 18, I could travel. I was one of the first generations I could uh, travel from Hungary to Western countries and I could learn languages and I could uh, start to discover um, the world because obviously you know Hungary was quite separated from the world uh, back then and uh, that made a huge difference in my life. Uh, it's, it's interesting what was your experience growing up in a socialist country that might be surprising to people? Well, uh, there were some good things and bad things like in every societies. Uh, what I remember and what I, I found fascinating that we have uh, very, we had very similar toys, similar uh, surroundings, similar uh, curtains and uh, tablecloths and uh, toys. And uh, we did not have all kinds of fruits like we have nowadays. I mean, it was a big deal to have uh, oranges and bananas back then. And we had it around Christmas time. We had uh, all the fruits what were growing in Hungary, but you know nothing special like you know kiwis or or anything uh, specific. But I must say that I never felt uh, deprived or or anything missing because I had a loving family, and my mom and grandmother they just you know they they were empaths they they were so people loving and. Um, also, you know, nurses and district nurses. So I'm, I'm coming from a family that is very people oriented. Mm. And that really made a big uh, impact early on. Yeah. And so 
you have an interesting life to me. Like very like, weren't you like in a touring band or something like that? Or are you music? Like, I was like okay, I didn't see this part coming. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I um, when I was in a, a student uh, hostel uh, in Hungary, I studied for nursing and. I was in a student hostel with uh, classical musicians as well as with other artists. And I really wanted to sing. And one of the guys uh, was an amazing uh, classical genius, uh, even back then. And I asked him, uh, could he just uh, listen to me because I really would want to start singing. And he, um, he checked me and he was like, okay, I'm going to give you singing lessons because you have a quite strong, quite low voice. And that's interesting in a female. So he started to give me lessons. And then uh, one day, a few months on, I asked him if I could sing something high, like the Night Queen's aria uh, from... Uh, Mozart's uh, piece and this is the highest coloratura you can imagine and I wanted to sing that and he was like you know what you should not think about anything close to that because your voice <laughs> is an opposite of where that is so let's just you know stick to where we are and I was like come on let me just try a few things he was like okay fine and he was just playing all the notes on the piano and it turned out to be that I have a huge vocal range. Mm. And this classical genius, you couldn't surprise, just turned to me and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure what to do with it. So can you just like find some professionals because I'm not sure what we should do with this. And I was like, come on, just because I screamed a few notes, you, you can't punish me with not giving me any further education. And he says, sorry, you just have to, you know, find, uh, find something different. And then uh, I was looking into the Guinness Book of World Records and I discovered that I could actually uh, easily uh, break the book range world record. And I've done that. Uh, that's when I came to the UK for the first time. And then I studied music and uh, by studying, I formed a band called Aquila and we toured the UK uh, for quite a few years and then uh, everything has changed when I discovered uh, uh, that I am uh, I was uh, in a toxic love. So <clears throat> that's a great segue into so you grew up with people who were very empathetic very people-centered and then all of a sudden you discovered you this toxic love. Talk a little bit about how that started in your life uh, when that started happening. Well, I, I must say that uh, just to be very precise, my uh, mom and uh, grandmother, they were the big uh, positive influences in my life. But uh, as to many children uh, who later on become involved in a toxic relationship, in an emotionally toxic relationship, uh, it all started when I was introduced conditional love at a young age. So when you loved freely, unconditionally, that is love. That is the, the love, what we should call love. Unconditional love, on the other side, is uh, manipulation techniques. But uh, people who are not psychopaths, but uh, not healthy, empathetic people, and want to connect, they have to pretend that connection, what we also feel. Mm. They do cognitively understand the connection, but they do not feel what we feel because their brain is different, they feel different, moral, loyalty, everything that means emotionally something to us mean something else to them. Is that something that is developed in a person or do you feel like that's something that someone is maybe it's more innate in someone or is it a combination of where they grew up the people they're around that type of thing well psychopaths uh, they are genetically born without uh, being able to empathize there is a physical sign actually their brain is different as i said 
So everything I say can be checked nowadays because there is MRI and PET scans. And you, you can, can see, see physically the, the change is what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's uh, checkable, not like uh, old times when you just had to, you know, uh, guess and, and verbally assess people. So psychopaths, uh, they are born uh, without uh, the ability to uh, empathize, but they have other skills, like they have a really quick brain and they can pretend things. Um, empathy in most of the people is there and you can imagine it on a bell curve. So it is, um, there are people with low empathy, there are people with uh, a well-balanced cognitive and affective empathy. So cognitive meaning you do understand uh, the meaning of empathy and you can also feel it. Mm -hmm. And this too is in balance. And if you are highly empathetic, then cognitively and affectively both, you are high on that level. So we can imagine this on a spectrum. So let's talk about your personal experience with toxic love. Let's jump into that part of the story, how you started experiencing that. Uh, it started uh, in my uh, youth. I discovered at a young age that uh, whilst I was, um, you know, meeting boys and having these young relationships, I was very careful and I was never in love. I don't know how I knew it. This is really hmm. strange, actually. I was thinking about it. How do you know you are in love, especially when you are a first time right. in love? Yeah. But I was sure I wasn't in love and I didn't know what was missing uh, because I was so highly empathetic. Uh, that's what people said. And I could check that by them turning to me about the problems, about the, you know, life's questions. Uh, they were opening up to me really quickly. Uh, so I was wondering what is missing? Why can't I be in love? Whilst uh, some of my partner, I could clearly see that they are really as passionate about me as I passionate I wanted to be about them. And uh, I was just, uh, you know, waiting to meet the person who I could fall in love with. And that is when I found um, the toxic love. So this person who I met could clearly see that I am looking for something. And uh, because he was uh, cognitively highly empathetic, but effectively not, uh, which obviously I had no idea about, he could find out what I wished for and he gained my uh, empathy, my attention uh, and became a part of my life. And when I realized that he's everything, there, there was no way back. But back then I knew nothing about uh, toxic love's existence. I was very dangerously naive, I would say. So... As it started progressing, when did you start recognizing that something was off, that I'm in something that is not good for me? Uh, it's hard to say because um, when you are hanging on to something, when you really want to keep that magical starting relationship, then you find excuses. But I must say that at the very beginning, I was uh, very careful uh, for, for 10 months. I was actually keeping away from this person. So he gradually got close to me by gaining my trust. And uh, I could see, like looking back, I could see at the beginning that he was uh, off. That was something really strange. But back then I did not listen to my gut feel. For the reason that my dad, when I was a child, told me that be careful, uh, don't listen to these whispers in your head because, you know, crazy people listen, listen to whispers in their head. So don't do that. Just, you know, stick to logic, check things. So he was pretty much um, suggesting to me to check everything, but leaving out the 
best part, which is our innate uh, protection, innate instinct. When you feel like something is wrong, you should always listen. Yeah, I, isn't that such a powerful thing? I mean, I think most humans, they know that, they feel it. But what is the disconnect between feeling it and doing something about it? I think the disconnect is uh, that um, our parents uh, try to protect us. And sometimes they don't give us the best advice. I mean, my dad gave me a really bad advice, actually. He educated me out of listening to my uh, gut feel. And uh, I lived by it. And that with my um, with my naivety um, actually led me uh, into a toxic relationship because if I would have listened to my gut, I would definitely not uh, believe all these fairy tales at the beginning when I was love bombed. My God, everything was so perfect. Uh, when we say it's too good to be true, that is so spot on. Is there an aspect of, you know, when someone's in love, they're really in love, it's almost like their reasoning and their prefrontal cortex turns off on some level. It feels like it. Like they're just not making decisions that maybe they would normally make in other instances in their life for that. That is very true. And especially because of that, uh, one should not get into a toxic relationship when one feels that something is off and this feeling is keep coming back it's not going away but this is just at the beginning because mm. after a while uh, you get used to it and you mm. cannot uh, make a firm decision okay I should keep away because these people are really good uh, mixing up your feelings and as you say when your feelings are overwhelming then your reasoning disconnects what's that you know you mentioned the term off can you explain that a little bit more like I mean I know there's a why it's like a wide thing to explain I mean you yeah. feel off, you feel things that are off in general but like what did you see that was like off in the beginning uh, everything was so overwhelming. He was keep messaging, wanting to meet, uh, but way too much. Hmm. And at the beginning, I could kind of um, keep away, but then I was flattered. I was happy. I was uh, a bit down when we met. I really needed someone. And he just spotted all the places in my life where I needed someone. And uh, I should have been more careful. I mean, now I would be, but back then, impossible. I mean, mm -hmm. without emotional education, a conscious one. And I'm emphasizing the word conscious because, as I said, you can feel so many things subconsciously. But if you do not know consciously, why is this wrong? What are the red flags? If you don't learn about this, then you will never be able to spot the signs, the red flags of a toxic person. So was it easy for you to be kind of coerced into different things when you had become love bombed or now your feelings were overwhelming? Was it easy for you to be pushed into different things that maybe you normally wouldn't be pushed into? Yes, yes. And this is dangerous. And I was so lucky that I did not actually met a psychopath because that could have been anything. Uh, the dangerous thing is that you lose yourself bit by bit. It's not obvious to your surrounding. They see that you are changing, but who doesn't change in a relationship? They see that you are overwhelmed, that you are really busy, that you are excited, you always want to be with that other person. And I think something quite simple is a warning sign. When you ask someone, can you tell me about what you've done or about this or that? And the person immediately starts to talk about the other person. It's nothing mm. about you anymore. It's always like, um, I went to this nice 
place and he was there with me and he was so amazing and he and he and he and there is nothing about you anymore I'm not saying in a relationship of course you are um, involved with the other person and you love talking about your um, joint memories or or adventures but uh, you lose yourself in this relationship it's not a partnership it's a trauma bonding it's a one-way manipulationship I've heard from someone which is a really good word Mm -hmm. because relationship is a true connection in this you just you connect and you give up yourself in order Mm -hmm. to serve another person who uses you like um, like a social connection to the world hmm I mean, that's interesting. I feel like I've known a few people that this has happened to. I think we all have known, and maybe some of us have been in those things in the past. For you- I, I, I hardly ever met anyone who did not right. say what you just said. So as we progress in your relationship, when was it like very apparent that this was extremely toxic for you and that you had to do something else? Uh, when he erased me as if I would have never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were together for years and we had serious plans. I had serious plans and he pretended to. And uh, suddenly one day he just starts to act really strange. But sometimes he was strange. I mean, he, he was more and more this Jekyll and Hyde uh, type Mm -hmm. of a person that's one of the red flags actually that someone is changing really quickly Mm. from one person to another but this is not very apparent at the beginning it it comes later but uh, when it was really really strange was towards the end when he found someone else and he pretended he had uh, no one he just needed some space he said and of course, I believed because uh, I would have said such thing if I if that would would have been true. And he um, and he had this new girl. No one knew about it. Uh, and he just, you know, kept away, didn't say anything. Uh, I did not know we had a problem in our relationship. I felt it, but I was like, yeah, he's um, too young. He was he was younger than me, um, and uh, maybe he just needs time, and maybe he's thinking about things. And when the uh, girlfriend, who is you know, they say new supply in these relationships because mm-hmm. they do not love you as a person, they cannot love you as a person. When when she came into the picture, then uh, after three months. Uh, he suddenly was in love with her and they were like we were and he just you know erased me as if and this was one of the most hurtful things happened to me in my life because I did not understand and then uh, we were still in connection and I just recognized that whenever I do something what I wouldn't do like I started to do the opposite of things that I would before. And those opposite things just resulted the reaction I wanted. I give you an example. Uh, He was very, very late, but really, really late. And uh, once I I just um, said to him that um, I will uh, uh, tell his mom about you know how he is and he got scared and he was on time and it's like you're not kids that you know someone says I I will tell your mom and I'm like what did he think I would tell his mom why why was he so scared because otherwise he was just you know he, he just didn't care he became really cold really disconnected and this was the first time in my life when no reasoning as much as I had, no heart, no trying to talk, nothing worked, absolutely nothing. And and this really made me think. 
you know what 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 is happening with me that I know this person less and less instead mm. of more and more. This is one of the warning signs, actually. And then someone, uh, a common friend, sent me an email um, that uh, was uh, a warning uh, email uh, to him because he's done something awful to a person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my God, I mean, you know, I, I didn't know this person. And that was about him, obviously, because his name was mentioned, what he has done was mentioned. And uh, more and more things came out. Uh, I desperately wanted to uh, understand or uh, carry on with the relationship because I, I always thought that you just drift away naturally. I never had an argument with people before. I always had uh, this very civilized way of disconnecting. Uh, but when this has happened, he was just uh, really cold, really heartless, and he started to show his uh, uh, the true narcissist just when we were together. And of course, I noticed this later that in public, he was always different. Uh, he was uh, nice or kind or quiet, uh, but I must say that uh, later, when I uh, get my uh, hand on a Joe Navarro Dangerous Personalities book, which contains tests for laymen about personality disorders. And I found out that he was a, an upper greater covert narcissist. That's what he, uh, that's what this test has shown. It's, uh, I couldn't believe, I mean, his, his numbers were really crazy high. And after a few years, uh, him being together with that lady, she contacted me and started to tell me very similar things, right. what happened to me. So I get the, you know, you, you can think that, you know, someone has a personality dis disorder. We can identify people. I'm, I'm not diagnosing anyone, yeah. but, you know, the, the test is, is pretty accurate because when I did the, the test about my problem, which was being a codependent, I reached a very high, very high level as well. So when you have a problem uh, with someone like you are with someone who has a personality disorder, that means that something is wrong with you too. And here I would refer back to why I wasn't in love. I could not be in love because I did not trust people enough. I was very careful. And then this person manipulated me into a relationship. And this is how I felt I could be close to someone to be tricked into this closeness. Interesting. Now, is there a gender difference in this? That is it that more men are more narcissistic or have potential for psychopathy versus women or what have you seen uh well uh, i would refer to people who are um, more like scientists mm -hmm. who are more confident uh talking about this what they say is uh psychopaths and pathological narcissists uh, are rather men mm. but uh histrionic personality disorder, bipolar personality disorder, which are uh, personality disorders, those are so-called cluster B. Uh, those are rather women. So mm. bipolar, histrionic, emotionally unstable. Uh, those are rather women. But just to confuse things uh, a little bit, these are not black and white. So... Yeah. All the cluster Bs are kind of overlapping at certain point. So if someone has a histrionic personality disorder, uh, that person is definitely highly narcissistic. And narcissists, uh, pathologically narcissists, are definitely emotionally unstable, which mm -hmm. I guess makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. So when you talk about the lessons of toxic love, what are these specific lessons that you learned uh, 
in, in being in something like this that you were like, okay, I understand this now. What are, what are some bullet points about this? Well, what I learned uh, was that we need uh, education. We need to educate ourselves. It's very difficult that we do not get this education. When you are coming from a securely, uh, emotionally attached home, mm. then you automatically uh, will be a securely attaching person. So you're, you're lucky, but you don't talk about it because it's unconscious. Uh, if you come from a dysfunctional family, you don't talk about it because, again, it's unconscious. So we need to be talking about this, be educated about this, so we consciously understand because this is like mathematics in a way, emotional mm. mathematics, that if you are an emotionally uh, like if you're coming from a dysfunctional family and your norm is what you received in that family and your norm is, for example, that your parents are fighting, that yeah. as crazy as it sounds, fighting will become one normal in your brain sure. subconsciously. And obviously, because you are a peaceful person, peace will be normal. But that already is a cognitive dissonance because if you think peace is normal, then fight cannot be. So you could ask why so many people live years and decades in, you know, fighting with each other instead of disconnecting. And the answer is trauma bonding. So mm -hmm. the relationship, what uh, I was talking about, my toxic relationship wouldn't be particularly interesting if it would happen to me because well, I was unlucky, but this is happening so very, very often. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it's also like, I have no information about this. Like, I want to put this, I don't have the science behind and stuff, but I'd be curious about how many people come from dysfunctional homes. Uh, even if you're from a relatively well-adjusted home, how many people are talking to you about what love is and isn't? and how to spot a potential toxic love relationship. Like who's talking to people about that in their home on a regular basis? I feel like it's probably very low. Yeah. That's just a feeling. I have no information, but man, most people I've known in their life, their parents do not talk to them about this stuff ever. Yeah. Because their parents did not talk to Correct. them about stuff. And it's just, you know, it's, it's intergenerational as the trauma is. Uh, which is caused by the lack of this conversation. And this is why I'm here. This is why we are talking about this. This is why you probably invited me mm -hmm. because this talk is needed. And if we try to guess uh, how much this conversation is missing from families, then let's look at the result. The crazy, you know, relationship battles, what, what's going yeah. on, and you know, is uh, even in famous people's life as we've seen the yeah the... i think what it is like too is like i'm encouraged but also discouraged i guess at the same time like i am encouraged that more people are talking about this stuff and that there's some science coming online about it but sometimes discouraged in the fact that we put so much time not into emotional mathematics but into mathematics and mm. to the hard sciences when I don't want to disrespect people who are into that, I think that stuff's important, but it's not how you live as a human. Like the, you live emotionally, the majority of your life of all these experiences you take in so much decision-making is about the emotions of things and activities in your life. So I feel like much more of science should focus on real world problems of emotion versus Maybe things that, while I think it's amazing to want to talk about particle colliders and things that are happening in outer space or physics and stuff, that's great. I'm into it. But that doesn't help me live on a regular basis and deal with the emotional, the, the daily emotionality of being a human for that. And I feel like we need more work in that area because one, you can't say that this is the parent's job. You can say that, but how do the parents get it? 
Like who is educating the parents? It's just not happening. So I would like to see more work done in science around love, because I just think it's, it's overwhelmingly important in our lives. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And that uh, science means nothing if it's not uh, applied. Right. So we need uh, applied sciences because this is so important to be uh, to get to people so they can make a use of it. I mean, I can talk about uh, the article where I was uh, reading by a scientist uh, about emotional defense mechanisms, mm. and I can get into it like, you know, we're going to get lost in it. But for example, uh, I told you about how I was working with the pain using with uh, a, an emotional defense, uh, which was um, sublimation. Yeah. So turning uh, into an art, my pain, like when I was in a band and I was in this uh, terrible pain, I, I wrote uh, lyrics about it. And uh, I read back years after, and, and I just, uh, I'd like to tell you a few lines. It was pain again, strains, feels like steel. I know it hurts you. Yes, I can feel. How can I suffer when you're in pain? How could I help you? Isn't it insane? I mean, who writes that? A happy person does not write mm. uh, such, you know, deep lyric and this is not just one. I wrote uh, many others and they were all sad and deep. And you could see that something is going on if someone is experienced. But if someone is a painter, you can see the paintings, not in an isolation. But if a person never smiles on photos, all the paintings are about uh, something sad. The person is isolated. So you don't look at just isolated incidents but you look at the person how that person lives and you look at how did you used to know that person because for example if my friends would have said listen you are so different I maybe would have been upset but I would have you know register it as I yeah. registered what has happened it was just too late and we adults unfortunately all understand the problems, uh, the toxic relationships. Uh, we all start to recognize these things when something really traumatic happens. Yeah. Otherwise. No, it makes sense. So what are some signs that you may be entering into a toxic relationship? It's kind of some takeaways that people listening can go, okay, tell me some things I should be looking for. I know you mentioned like the person's off potentially, but what are some pretty like basic things people could look for? Uh, toxic people don't like no. So if you mm. say, sorry, I'm busy. Uh, can we just reschedule? No, please, let's just meet. I, I was so waiting for this. So if someone cannot take a no, cannot respect your boundaries, like, uh, okay, I'm not going out uh, three times uh, to a restaurant because, you know, I'm a sportsman. And they say, oh, I so love to show you this new restaurant. And there was another one just opening up. So forcing you to deny what you believe in, that is, uh, you know, a tester, like how far they can go. Um, Psychopathic people, I'm not just talking about psychopaths, but people with huge empathy deficits, they love uh, forcing you, but in a way, many of them, in a way that you feel like, oh, actually, I agreed. So I wasn't forced, but you were. So they just, you know, twist it, turn it in a way that you feel like, oh, eventually I, I agreed uh, to something which you would not have done. And a healthy person would not force you in any way or coerce you into you doing things what you don't like. They also like when things are about them. So what they like, where they like to go, it's, it's all about them. But it's easier to recognize uh, people who are naturally extroverted because introverts are uh, the covert narcissist, for example, 
and overt narcissists are a lot easier to recognize. I mean, a lot easier, I right. say. It's not easy. It's more obvious. Like, yeah. It's more obvious because they are more pushy. And these people are rather coercive, manipulative in a in a in a stealth way. So uh, and I can only repeat myself that we should listen to our guts. If something mm -hmm. is off, then something is off. You may not know immediately what it is, mm -hmm. but you should listen because that that tells you something. And um, if you silence it, it will be silenced after a while but then you start becoming not yourself anymore yeah. and you just argue with yourself oh it's fine I mean I should not be so hard and you keep finding excuses for this person the person is late finds excuses you see uh, he or she doesn't have uh, healthy friendships that's a really really big sign that they have this transactional uh kind of uh, connections mm -hmm. and then some person who is not useful just disappears someone comes in they love name dropping you know I was with such and such and yeah. it was so amazing and they love uh, talking about um, you know how amazing beautiful wonderful picture perfect everything is just you know everything is more than you could have everything is nicer they are better they are the winners it's it's all about uh you being nothing and them being everything yeah is there ever an instance where like if you feel like this is off you would tell that person like i'm feeling like there's something off about you you know what i've done that and i was quite firm about that and i even told some common friends something you know, quite harsh, but uh, because we're not talking about like, because we don't name anyone, mm -hmm. I can say it. Uh, I just said to my uh, one of my musicians that I think that he's an idiot. And I immediately felt awful. I was like, when did I become such an awful person? He just doesn't speak the language well enough. He's young, you know, then I had all the excuses, but I was uh, bothered enough to go to someone and do this awful thing and years after when I found out about his condition and I looked up the word idiot what it means he's an emotional idiot actually because he uh, lacks something which is which wasn't his choice it's not we don't uh, choose to be uh, not being able to connect this is a curse on him so he makes others suffer because he's suffering and this is why it's so important because uh, sometimes people go to court they swear under oath and then they lie but no one asks if they have a condition because sometimes it's pretty obvious mm. uh, that they don't have that moral code lying to them is just an action it's like us talking to yes. them it's like okay that's fine because this is what i need in order to get this or that and then they are forced to lie bigger and bigger if they are not stopped and it's just you know bad for everyone i wonder like how much confrontation is needed with someone like that in order to like could you ever confront somebody enough that they started to rethink how they're behaving or is it just not even not even possible well, rethinking is a healthy way of you know communicating but if you like i i was so surprised honestly when i found out that every human uh feeling every positive feeling is connected to empathy so if someone has a low affectionate warm empathy which makes us able to connect. Those people have uh, less morals. They, you know, they lie a lot. Many of them are notorious liars, but they are good liars because at mm. the same time, they have really good brains. They don't lose the thread. If I start to lie, you will catch me straight away because I <laughs> right. will not remember my lies. Yeah. But these people, 
they don't have the physical signs of lying. When I lie, I look away, I blush, mm. uh, I have blurry words, I try to explain myself. You see millions of signs of lying. But because lying to them doesn't feel like a sin, they will not blush because mm. they have good brains. They will not forget the lie. They will not show physical signs. They look into your eye and they lie to you. And you think with your healthy brain that people don't do that if they lie. So it gets you confused. Right. And that's one of the things they can really, really use everything what's missing to their advantage. Because you would think if someone is lying, then you would definitely spot it. But not really, because they are, they don't feel the same way. I mean, could you ever convince someone like that, that this is not the right behavior to have? Never. If they don't believe that that it's a wrong thing ever, it's just normal? Well, again, let's be fair. Uh, this is on a scale. Sure. So if someone is uh, relatively low on a toxic scale, that means they are relatively close to the healthy scale. Right. These people can reach a point in their life when they really want to change because of something that is important to them. Mm -hmm. uh, some people, because, you know, they have kids and they want to change for the kid because the teachers keep complaining that the kid is antisocial or, you know, that, that, that could be many reasons. But if someone is really high on that scale, that means that they... Uh, empathy, the warm empathy is so shallow that you cannot reason with them. And that's yes. why the constant fights, because I remember trying to, you know, just talk about uh, things that, you know, some, some simple things like uh, an American journalist asked uh, me to, you know, give an interview. And I was like, this is a bad thing, guys. Come on, let's do it together. And then my ex uh, didn't want to do it at all. And I was like, come on, this is like, you know, you can talk about, you know, what you do and how you do it. You don't have to even, you know, just, um, uh, 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 I, I'm not giving any directions. You do whatever you want to do. And then he just said, no. And I said, okay, fine. And then he just wrote the whole article alone. And <laughs> I was asked and, you know, I'm fine to share, but, He's either not writing, like not answering any questions or answering all the questions. I mean, black and white. The normal is, you know, between the two. So you are part of something. And this is a good story because eventually this journalist was really spot on saying uh, as a total stranger that, you know, it's nice that... Um, Marta Maria wanted to share this experience because this really feels like a band, not like a singer with a band, but someone being a part of a band, yeah. how I actually felt. So, you know, he, he spotted this, the total stranger. Yeah, there's, there's so much here. There's literally so much in here, but I think it's important that people understand the signs and symptoms, I guess, of like, what it means to enter into something with someone and to have a feeling that you should trust. You should trust and, that feeling if it's not. And, right. and I, uh, you reminded me on something, you know, uh, watching out for signs. Uh, there is this 55% um, of body language, watch out for body language because uh, these people can behave even at the beginning uh, in a way like, you know, they superior. So the body movement, the posture. Yeah. Uh, so 55% uh, body language, 38% tone of voice. A psychopath or people with psychopathic brain, they already know a lot about you before even talking to you a word because they watch how you uh, how, how your body posture, how your movements are. And then they, you know, they may listen how you talk. So even before you're talking to them, they may know a lot about you. Yeah. Like someone listens uh, to us, me talking to you, 
they can get a lot, uh, not just, you know, with the conversation, but the tone of voice that we are people who are warm-hearted, interested, yeah. passionate, and passion comes with empathy, like real, real passion, like the whole uh, colorful rainbow of emotion is only possible if you have um, empathy as well, warm yeah. empathy. I mean, that's a great uh, stopping point, I think. I mean, Marta Maria, this is uh, fascinating. I mean, I think it's a lesson that all people should know. And instead of just jumping into something to really observe and really think and trust your gut, trust your gut, really important takeaway. Tell everyone how they could connect with you, learn more about you um, and just connect. Well, uh, I have a homepage, www.martamaria.com. Uh, I have a LinkedIn page, that's Marta Maria again. Uh, Marta Maria Kupetic, and uh, I can, uh, you know, I can be emailed. All my uh, details are online, and I think that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Fantastic. And I hope to talk again. Yeah, yeah, I think this is going to be really valuable for a lot of people. There's so many good lessons. I think I can describe it. It's just like there's just a lot of substance to what you say, and it's very, very direct. Like, this is what's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's what to look for. A lot of things that people can take away. So thank you for giving me some of your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much as well. And just one more thing uh, before I go, that people who go through such an experience, like a, a toxic love experience, trauma bonding experience, there is a time until you recover but we should not forget about the post-traumatic growth, which is uh, the, the present, what you get afterwards. You, you, right. you will be a lot more experienced, uh, wiser, uh, and you can navigate your connections a lot more after such an experience. So not just bad comes with it, but also, you know, something that you deserve. Most definitely. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dr. Parker. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower Every note. or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, Cruising. you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.